I was going to start today's show with a recording of me reading out a statement that I made on Facebook. But I've just recorded it now and it's quite long. Uh, So it's going to go at the end of this episode, which I think is probably a better place for it. Um, But that means that it's a bit less juicy at this moment. You're just having me talk to you rather than having a kind of juicy bit put at the beginning of the episode as Getting Better Acquainted has traditionally tried to do. But nevertheless, that's how the Getting Better Acquainted 2019 New Year's special slash extra episode is starting. So, hello, my name's Dave, and I'm the person who puts this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with 2018 and what that was like for me. We're also getting better acquainted with me, I guess. That's what generally happens in getting better acquainted episodes. And whoa, me and 2018... We're, we're, we're in a strange kind of like position in that it's been a terrible year for the world, uh, but it's been a pretty good year for me. It's not been an easy year all the time, but it's been a pretty good year in most ways for me. It's been a, a year where I've got myself into a different position, where I've started to live the life that I've wanted to do and stopped being uh, miserable and depressed and um, not very well uh, mentally all of the time, which has been a great thing. Uh, It's also been the year that I decided that I was going to put Getting Better Acquainted on hiatus. So today's episode, it's kind of a review of the year, but it's also, I guess, kind of a review of Getting Better Acquainted, which started in 2011. And it's only on hiatus after this episode, so it hasn't even finished. I don't really believe in something like getting better acquainted, having an ending. Getting better acquainted, unlike many of the things that I make, which are supposed to have endings, is about a process. It's about growth. It's about change. And none of those things end. Uh, They're all constant. And particularly in terms of me, you know, looking back again, better acquainted. I mean, I started it in 2010, I think, probably some of the episodes that I probably was recording then. I recorded quite a lot of episodes before I actually started putting them out. And I was in a very different place in my life when I started doing it, uh, which was really just a way of, of showing myself as as the different people that I can be when I'm talking to different people uh, as a reaction to a podcast that I didn't like uh, that I'd made before where I was not a version of myself I enjoyed listening to uh, when editing uh, and was not a version of myself I guess that people enjoyed listening to very much and it was about learning to listen and, and learning who I was and who other people were and, and trying to, to get better like the theme tune is deliberately like that for a reason. It's supposed to be 
because I, I did want to get better. I, I, I didn't even necessarily at that time have the words to describe the things I wanted to get better from. Like if I was to say now, what what do I want to get better from? It would be I want to get better from my mental health issues, the anxiety and depression that I struggle with, that I want to get better uh, from all of the toxic masculinity that I've been swimming around in since I was a child that's hurt me but also caused me to hurt other people. It would be I want to heal and process childhood traumas and teenage traumas and, and even adult traumas. I've got words for these things now. I didn't really have these words when I started this show. This show has helped me to find those words in many ways. I'm not sure that it's made me a better listener. I do find that I still talk more than I'd like in many of the episodes. As, a, as an editor, I have to then listen back to the conversations that I've had. And you should realise that if you're someone who's judging me, thinking, oh God, he's talked more than his guest in this episode, I will be doing that when I'm editing it. And I will have made it sound often like I wasn't talking more than I should have done because that's one of the things you can do through editing. Also, sometimes I maybe have cut stuff that other people said. So it sounds like I'm dominating a conversation when in fact that's not how it actually happened. There's lots of different facets to the process of editing. But whilst I would say I've calmed down in lots of ways since uh, I started this show... I definitely am someone who thinks and talks in paragraphs and that may be a strength for some of the things I do. Uh, sometimes it's not though and that has been an interesting process going through getting better acquainted. Uh, I can't change that fully in myself. I've learned to react better to social cues. I've learned to properly listen when other people talk but I haven't necessarily learnt to change the way I think. And I'm not sure that that's something that I even want to do. It's important to be aware of it, though. And, you know, part of the reason for, for stopping getting better acquainted for the minute is that I am sick of listening to my own voice. One of the things I started doing this year was editing Made of Human, uh, which is a podcast made by Sophie Hagen, where she talks to people uh, and they try to work out what it is to be human. Uh, Sophie's been a guest on the show, so you can listen back to that episode to hear us talking about the similarities between our shows. In fact, her appearance on Getting Better Acquainted may have been part of the catalyst that has led to me working on her show now. Um, but that's a joy to do because I'm not listening to me. I'm listening to Sophie talk to somebody else. And if Sophie talks too much, it doesn't bother me because, uh, well, first of all, it's not me. So I'm not judging them as harshly as I judge myself. But also Sophie is uh, a funny, engaging charismatic person and is also not a cis white man whereas I am a person with a lot of privilege we'll get to, to some of the nuance of that later on but certainly I'm treated and have experienced the world in many ways as a cis white man and so I'm the kind of person who needs to take up less space and Sophie is not and one of the ways I can take up less space in some ways is to stop putting out a weekly podcast that can never pass the Bechdel test because one half of it 
is someone dripping with privilege, which doesn't mean I don't want to take up any space. I actually want to do more projects where I'm putting a lot more time and effort and thought into what I say and what I put out, which isn't captured moments of live material, although I like that. Um, And also, you should always remember that Getting Better Acquainted is edited, so it is only giving the appearance of being a captured moment. Uh, A lot of work goes into it too after that. But at the same time, there are other things I want to do. There are other things I want to make. And I just don't have the room to do all of those things and make Getting Better Acquainted. Not at the moment, anyway. So Getting Better Acquainted is going into a hiatus. That doesn't mean that nothing will come out on your feeds going forwards. I may very well record other special episodes here and there of Getting Better Acquainted. I may come back every year and do um, a a New Year roundup. I find uh, thinking through what's happened in my year into a microphone and sharing it with an audience to be quite useful. Um, Although I didn't listen back to last year's uh, episode before I launched into recording this year's one I don't really feel the need to I might do that later but for me this year it's not really about comparing myself to where I am compared to where I was last year because I already was doing that for the entire year like this whole year has been about trying to make changes in my life looking at the unhappinesses that I had for various different reasons within my life and thinking how can I make changes that will improve these things. Which isn't to say that there aren't big systems and structures all around me and you and all of us that stop us from being able to make any choice we want. But I was starting to think I couldn't make any choices. And that's quite a ridiculous thing for somebody with the amount of privilege that I have to think. Lots of people have a lot less opportunity to make choices than me. Like this year, I've been deciding where to move because I couldn't afford to live in London. But I can afford or have found that I am able to afford to live in other parts of the country. Um, Partly that's because I've inherited a little bit of my, my white... Uh, privilege has come to me finally some money has come uh, from all of the privilege that I uh, that I exhibit walking around the world Um, not a lot of money uh, maybe enough money in the future to put down a deposit on a house though so enough money um, and that has changed things for me in big ways Although I still can't get a mortgage or anything at this point uh, because you have to uh, have uh, a uh, an existing good salary and uh, me and my partner are not quite there yet. But changes are happening. We've moved to a different part of the country. We've moved to Lancaster where we, uh, we met actually and where we both went to university. Uh, and it's been interesting coming back to a place that we knew when we were basically children and uh, and being uh, basically adults uh, here. Um, it's been full of the same and the different. It's impossible not to make comparisons uh, between where you were then and where you are now and to, to, to take stock of, of who you are and how far you've come when you do something like that. I've also We've also visited together um, a lot of different options for places that we could have uh, moved to, which we chose not to move to. So in a way, even though that's been like uh, hard to fit in, 
to the, to a year. Um, it's hard to do anything uh, as a freelancer that isn't uh, trying to make money. We have forced ourselves to take the space and to contemplate and to think things through, which we've often not done when we've moved or, or made uh, similar life choices before. We've really taken the time this year to fully think about what we wanted to do. But that's also meant that a lot of this year has been like therapy, I guess. I mean, I haven't been in therapy this year, um, but uh, me and my partner have been going and talking and kind of having holidays, I guess, which is not something that I've had very much of um, in, in quite a few years. Um, and some of those places that we went to, to and we were considering, you know, some of them were quite important to my, my back catalogue. We went to Kings Lynn in Norfolk, where we were considering going to, which is uh, where I was born um, and where I lived till I was three. But I have very few memories of that. So going to Kings Lynn was a, a, a kind of reevaluation of my family, of, of what it, what their, my early life might have been like. I, I went back to the place I've talked about sometimes in some of the work that I've made. Uh, when I of my earliest memory of like going to this park where there was a castle and uh, my dad would take me to that park every day and then one day the castle was open and we could go in and this is very kind of big memory for me and I saw that castle well, it's not a castle um, it's a small uh, building that looks a little bit like a castle uh, in a park in in in, uh, in Kings Lynn Norfolk um, but it's interesting to stand in the places as an adult as a 37 year old man uh, that I would have stood when I was, you know, two, uh, and my my dad was would have been towering above me. My dad is no longer towering above me. In fact, my dad is well. Actually, maybe he is. Maybe he is still towering above me in terms of he's he's all I can think about in some ways. I mean, I'm uh, I'm sat at my desk in Lancaster now, and there's a picture of him looking well, not at me because he's looking off camera, but there's a a picture of him facing me all the time, um, which keeps him in my mind pretty much permanently. Last year, I wrote some pieces about my dad and our relationship and his uh, and his descent into old age and uh, dementia. Um, and that has continued on. Me leaving London has meant that that that, that was me sort of stopping fully, uh, properly uh, being any form of carer for my dad. Um, up till around about when I was writing those pieces last year, I was a, a constant uh, person looking after my dad. I was seeing him every day. I was making sure everything was okay. It was taking a big toll on my mental health in lots of complicated ways. Um, after that, I reduced the amount that I was seeing him. I reduced the amount that I was in charge of his care. We, uh, we being the, the siblings, all of all of his four children, we arranged uh, for people to come to see him instead, to look after him instead. Um, but with me leaving London and coming to Lancaster, that has heralded in a new moment in his life, or maybe afterlife. I'm not really sure how to think of it because... He's not him anymore. He, he might still be alive. He might still have a form of consciousness, but he's not the man that I knew and loved and had a the, the longest friendship of my life with. Um, he's kind of like a, a ghost now uh, that's still alive, still um, inhabiting the world, but like an echo of, of, of what, he, what he used to be. But anyway, he's been moved. Uh, that ghost has moved to Yorkshire where he's, he's staying in a, a home, a kind of assisted living facility um, in Yorkshire and so 
that means I'm in a very different space than I've been. Um, and I'm still, you know, grieving for him even as he's alive. I mean, I hear his voice all the time. Like people have described to me hearing the voices of people who've died. But he's still alive. And when I do hear his voice, when I do see him, uh, it's not his voice. Uh, so that's all a very confusing thing. But I'm going to take those pieces that I wrote about my dad, um, along with many of the episodes of Getting Better Acquainted that he's featured on, along with some new conversations that I've been recording with some uh, rele- relevant people to uh, to the story of my dad and uh, and the story of being a grieving person whose father is uh, dying or died. Um and I'm going to put that into a, a new series that I'm going to create at some point this year. Probably not till uh, late on in the year, I would imagine, even though it, it feels really pertinent to me now. And I've actually spent the time between uh, Christmas and New Year recording narrations for that project. But the first project that's coming up in, in 2019 is The Family Tree Season 3. So that's the thing I'm going to be focusing on uh, for, the, for at least the first part of the year. Um, but then after that, I will be uh, doing my, my series Down to a Sunless Sea, Memories of My Dad, which will be shorter form than Getting Better Acquainted. They will be uh, edited. There will be soundscapes. There will be uh, there will be uh, narrations, all sorts of things that I tend to try to avoid in, in, in many of my other projects. Uh, and when I do release that, when I put that out, I will put it out on Getting Better Acquainted's feed as well as on its own new feed. So there will at least be those things to look forward to. Um, I should think we'll do another uh, review of, of, of the process of doing The Family Tree uh, after season three's come out, and that I will also share on Getting Better Acquainted's feed. So there, there will be a lot uh, for listeners to hear uh, in the future. It just won't be weekly, uh, and it won't uh, be always conversation. Speaking of the family tree, uh, 2018 has been in many ways all about the family tree. Season two was coming out until April uh, and we were kind of editing that as it was happening. So it was a much more like constant process, but a lot less of an overwhelming process for season two. Um, and then as soon as we'd finished doing season two, in fact, I think whilst we were still doing season two, we began to record the audio, the performances for season three of The Family Tree, because all of the people we wanted to record, it was easiest for us to do when we were in London. And it was not going to be easy to do that when we were in Lancaster so we had to do that uh, in advance also then that meant that we could uh, stop thinking about the family tree and start focusing on moving house and when Jen kind of hit the ground in Lancaster she could start thinking about what she was going to do to change her life and her career Uh, she's trying to be a freelance writer now which has been an interesting thing to observe like somebody going through being a freelancer uh, in my own household has been an interesting thing to observe I felt like uh, a lot of the things that I worried were like flaws in me are are kind of more flaws within (laughs) freelancing within uh, the world within capitalism Uh, and and it's actually been quite good from my point of view to see her struggling even as it's not been good from her point of view at all uh, to struggle it never is fun to struggle uh, even if it it resonates with other people but yeah i've done i've done all of those sorts of things this year moved uh 
in fact when we moved i stayed in london and, and did the the london podcast festival even as jen moved up uh to lancaster so that was a kind of weird and fractured move which has been like many of our moves it's never easy to kind of fully schedule these things in your lives but unlike other moves that we've done uh everything was much more equally distributed we both had a lot to do with it we actually came up to lancaster twice to look at houses we really took our time it cost us a lot more money maybe than uh than uh, was ideal but it meant that we've got a house that we we really like that we're renting now um for much less than we were renting uh, anywhere any flat that we lived in london with the restart project which i've been doing every month which is a a, a podcast uh a about uh, our relationship with technology and gadgets that I do uh, for the Restart Project. That monthly income added now to Made of Human, and I'm also going to be producing uh, the breakup monologues for Rosie Wilby uh, in 2019. Um, And I do also get other jobs here and there uh, around storytelling or doing stuff around masculinity. That all means that basically I've gone from never making enough to to make rent and being a kind of stone around Jen's neck as she was the only one who had um, a salary but that salary was not a very big salary because she was a teaching assistant um, we've we've kind of all swapped around positions whereby now I make enough uh, to survive for me um, I make enough to make rent uh, for the first time in ages I've also now got some savings that I didn't have before um, because my mum has given me this money uh, that she was going to give me potentially when when she died, but she thought kind of useful, more useful to me now to get it now. Um, so I'm kind of comfortable, or at least I can breathe um, for the first time in in in, in absolutely years. Um, it's like mental health, you know, like having mental health issues doesn't make artists make great art it gets in the way of the making great art and any great art that artists make who are struggling through mental health issues is made despite those issues rather than because of them and similarly you know struggling to make rent is also not noble struggle it doesn't it is not why uh work gets done it's it's the stuff that's getting in the way of the work and in fact it may not seem like it to people but i've been much more productive or at least much more creative uh this year than i have for a number of other years where maybe i've 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 put out more stuff but the, but the stuff that i put out this year i've been much more proud of the things i've done this year i think have been much higher standard and i've also had space in my life to breathe and 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 and, and exist uh me and jen have continued to go on adventures that's what we call them adventure days where we go on big really long walks and we we did that in london for years and in fact when we were found when we decided we were moving out of london we uh, we of course try to do you know our final adventures go back to the places that we really enjoyed and do the things that we wouldn't be able to do once we've moved but then there was also the first adventures of coming to Lancaster and doing that here working out how to do that here with a much less good transport system but a much better uh, selection of opportunities for walking if uh, if if you like countryside in your walk uh, although there's plenty of countryside walks that are in or around london so people living in london uh, there are there are grassy outdoor places to find in london uh, don't believe the hype but 
at the same time, uh, Lancashire is a different part of the country. It's very close to the Lake District. It's got it's very close to the Lancaster's very close to the Forest of Boland. There's loads of really uh, lovely uh, countryside around here, and so doing that. Uh, for the first time, even though we lived here once, uh, but when we lived here, we were children and uh, did not understand how close everything was. And even if we had understood that, that would have not really interested us as much as the important life learning processes that we were going through at the time, uh, which were very insular and not about thinking about the world around us, uh, particularly. This has been a year where I've I've done a lot of interviews uh, with press in many different ways. I've I've given uh, interviews uh, to the print media and spent long times having conversations with uh, people on phones, uh, and then found out what tiny bits of whatever was going through my head that I said uh, out of my la- out of my mouth uh, that they picked out and put into their articles. Um, those articles, incidentally, one thing I've learned this year is, you know, well and truly is that that having uh, print articles go out about you in the mainstream press does not necessarily result in any further sales of the book that you're trying to crowdfund, which has been a big part of uh, of 2018 as well. In February, I, uh, I launched uh, my crowdfunding campaign with Unbound to crowdfund the book Mansplaining Masculinity. I'd, I'd found out about that, that, you know, they'd approached me, Unbound approached me in December uh, 2017. Um, and so I kind of had to sit on that information that this exciting thing was going to happen until February when it started to happen. And then I could talk about it. And I did talk about it. And I talked about it in lots of interviews. And I emailed lots of people and I did as much as I could and I really really put the work in um we're it's currently at 24 percent funded it's a lot of money that needs to be raised to be fair and I am only one individual uh, and not an individual who feels comfortable bombarding people uh with requests to fund my book as well like I set um a level of like I would only bother people twice because I am I I, I understand that, that that everyone tells me that that is not the way to do it it's just I feel like I want to still have friends and family um in the future um and also i don't want to just fund uh, a thing with the people i know paying for it through guilt to be honest so you can look at things and think oh this is going to be the magic bullet you know but it never is the magic bullet it's always a new load of work a new load of things uh, to do another another lot of of work to push for and i've done the work i've done a lot of it um, but I am fatigued of it at this stage. Um, and so we'll see what happens in 2019. Maybe the book will get funded. If you want to fund mans- Mansplaining Masculinity, you, you absolutely should. Because if it doesn't happen, you'll eventually get that money back. And so that'll be a nice surprise when you get that money back. Uh, but if it does happen, it, it will happen because of you. And in fact, it can't happen unless more people fund it. So do uh, go to unbound.com forward slash mansplaining masculinity and and sign up uh, there's lots of different perks and and, and off, offers things that i give you uh if you pay more money 
Uh, so check out all of that stuff there. But the thing is, doing those interviews, because I had to, because I had a thing that I needed to get in front of more people's ears or more people's eyes, I did as many interviews as I could. Um, and that was an interesting experience. Some of those went well, in my view, and I had really great conversations or I gave really good uh, answers. Others went really terribly, in my view. Um, and so those are the ones I didn't shout about as much or share. But it was interesting to, to, to listen back to them, nevertheless, because the thing is, when I'm not relaxed and I get defensive, I start saying things that I don't even agree with and that don't make any sense. And that's not a good thing to do in public. And that's another reason, right, really. I mean, when I'm on Getting Better Acquainted, I can edit that stuff out. But if I'm on somebody else's show, I can't get them to cut the stuff that I want cut. Or I could. Maybe I could if I wanted to be the worst kind of guest, the kind of guest that I, I you know, never have enjoyed coming on Getting Better Acquainted. Uh, but it's not really for me, I don't think, to, 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 to decide what they want to do with the material that they gather. That's their work. I'm just a contributor to their work. Um, but the thing is, you know, that's an interesting thing. I don't... I may be somebody who learns through talking, but I'm aware that words matter and that when they're spoken publicly, then it doesn't matter if it was a learning point and you thought completely differently from that five seconds later or two hours later or the next day or you didn't even think it at the time. None of those things matter. The words are there and people can hear them and they will take of them and make of them what they will. So that's been an interesting experience for me. It's easy for sometimes to think, oh, yeah, I'm really used to talking on my own podcast or I'm really relaxed when I'm on friends of mine's podcasts. So I kind of know how to do this. But I don't. Not if I go on somebody else's podcast who I don't know and they they push back in ways I'm not expecting or they have thoughts I wasn't expecting or like whatever. I find myself having to justify things that I didn't expect to have to justify. So that's been a, an educational experience, um, as has knocking my head against a brick wall of trying to raise funds for a project that I really, really believe in. I mean, I think it would be a really good book. It's a book I would like to write. I would have liked to have already written, to be honest. In fact, like at this point, I'm almost, you know, it's not that I'm tired of that subject, which that makes it sound like a patriarchy is over and that we're all liberated and great. It's just, you know, that focus, that lens, that particular uh, project. I did that, uh, you know, in 2015. I mean, I started it in 2014. Uh, it's a show I've done many, many times. It's something I've written about and expanded on and thought around in lots of different ways. You know, it had its hot point, its hot moment where I could have produced the book that I thought was really important and needed to happen. If I make it now, I think it will still be a good book, but it will be a different book from that book. Uh, because time has passed, I've developed, my thoughts have changed and all those things. And you know, at the London Podcast Festival in September, I ha actually had an opportunity to kind of uh, talk around a lot of, of, of these these things around what it's been like for me uh, trying to be a freelancer, what it's been like for me, like having moments of like success and then moments of not success and, and the kind of contradiction and contrast between, you know, being known by some people and not by others and all of those kinds of uh, the complexities that come with being a kind of independent 
independent person trying to make it four years in the arts. I kind of got to tell to people who are starting on that journey or who are engaging in that journey in different ways um, and want, wanted to learn from me. I had the opportunity to uh, share that with them. And I was actually very pleased with how that went down. And I also got to see a lot of friends and 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 meet new podcasters uh, who I admire, who I'd not managed to meet before. Um, And so that was a really great uh, experience, Um, a slightly less great experience and sad experience in some ways, but also maybe it was the right time, was leaving uh, hosting Spark Hackney, the true storytelling night that I was hosting in the Hackney attic. It was great from my ethical perspective because I don't like the picture house cinemas and I no longer have to host a night that is uh, happening at a picture house cinema so that's one uh, compromise to my morality that I can uh, that I've been washed clean of which is nice Um, there's a lot of those going about those so it's hard to avoid them but it was sad to say goodbye to the people the regulars the people I'd met along the way Uh, and that night was a special night Um, and in the last night People came and, and made it a special night and and, and can reflected on how special that night had been. And it was powerful to be reminded of how many people uh, that night had changed um, in so many different ways. So anyway, Christmas has just happened and New Year. And Christmas is a complicated time for me as... You'll know if you're regular listeners to the show, I've made seven, I think, seven Christmas specials and they've all been on one level or another about how complicated Christmas is for me. But New Year I like, or at least traditionally like. For me growing up, Christmas was about family, which was complicated. Uh, But New Year was about friends and friends were less complicated. Um, So I liked New Year because it was a, a kind of break and escape from that family uh, into kind of friendships as life has gone on and I've I've stopped having as much access to my friends and stopped seeing them as regularly um, and stopped kind of doing New Year particularly with my friends of late uh, New Year has been much more about reevaluating my life not just through making this now yearly podcast about my life what's happened in that year and what I'm thinking going into the next year but also like actually taking stock like coming up with playlists of songs I like like thinking about where I am in comparison to where I've been before and also we've mostly uh, started the last few years uh, New Year's on an adventure you know going out walking seeing the world thinking about things those kind of things. I have a tendency to get super depressed in the winter, although this winter, touch wood, uh, I am not uh, in that particular state. So uh, let's hope that lasts. But also uh, nothing goes away forever. It's all just a process and uh, all of that stuff. Uh, so going out on New Year's Day has been a really good way of kind of breaking that that cycle, uh, connecting with the, the the experience of being in my body, walking, feeling the weather, all of those things has been really useful. This year, Jen had an operation on Christmas Eve, so uh, we didn't go out on an actual physical adventure on New Year's uh, Day or Christmas Day, uh, as we'd intended to before that operation got scheduled on Christmas Eve. Um, so instead, we played a, a computer game. So we, we we walked around and had an adventure, but, you know, a, a virtual one. But this whole season has been 
a really odd one for me, but actually a really healing and uh, nice and strange season. So first of all, I went to Bristol to stay with my mum first and then to stay with my little sister and my niece. Uh, those are parts of my family that I've really neglected in in the last uh, few years where it's all been really focused around my dad and I've not seen my niece in some of her, her years of growing up as much as I had always intended to and as much as I intend to going forwards. Uh, she's now 13. It was a really strange Christmas um, but healing and good because during that family time, which and I, you know, I didn't, I don't see my family at Christmas. I, I don't like that combination. But uh, it's good to see them around Christmas because otherwise they feel bad that they're not seeing me at Christmas. Um, but also because I, you know, want to see them actually. Um, you know, my mum this time and people, regular listeners to the show, will know I've got lots of complicated issues with my mum. Uh, very very interrelated Christmas and my mum in terms of issues and complications. But the thing is, this Christmas, or in the run-up to this Christmas, uh, I had a very strange experience where my mum apologised for pretty much all of the things that she has done um, to me when I was growing up uh, that hurt me and uh, twisted me up in, in lots of different complicated ways. I've often said that the thing is with my mum is that she can apologise for everything, but she can't uh, apologise for specifics. She can't get in specifically. And she, she did. She, she, she broke it down. She accepted my arguments. She listened to me. We had some real moments of, of, of connection and, and, and understanding. I mean, immediately after that, she, she insisted that a song that was playing on the radio was by the Pogues, even though it wasn't because the Pogues song had ended and there was a new song and she insisted on it that it was the Pogues uh, and it was quite an amusing moment. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that like this was a magical moment and we're healed and everything's normal and she's never going to be ridiculous again and I'm, me and her are always going to be close. That's not the case. But she said the things that I've always wanted her to say and I wasn't really expecting her to do that. And she did. And, you know, then we went to see my sister and that was great. I haven't seen her properly in years. I've neglected her um, as well as my niece. You know, it's easy to think of the children in the family and think they're the ones who we need to see. But actually, I, I should have been seeing my sister more and I will be seeing my sister more. She's coming on Sunday. Um, but also, I, you know, I, I'm going to make sure that I do uh, see parts of my family that maybe I've I've taken a break from for, for years and that's okay it's okay to take breaks from your family for those of you who can't get to a, a point where your mum's uh, in a restaurant uh, apologizing for all of the things she did wrong that's okay I mean not all mums get to that point and also it's fucking annoying actually on some levels uh, that my mum isn't the best she's ever been in her life like she's uh, living her best life as uh, people like to say these days which of course is great but it's kind of frustrating when she kind of made your life hell for so many years uh, to see her uh, get kind of redemption and happiness and all of these things uh, is a, a, a complicated, bittersweet process. Um, but, 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 you know, I don't begrudge her that, 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 that life journey and change. And, and you know, you, you can't go back and do any Like guilt doesn't do any good. And actually guilt has been a big part and shame have been a big part of why she fucked us all up in the first place. So actually for her to lose those things, it may be bittersweet, uh, but it's good. And it implies that it can happen. Like I can lose mine. If she can, if even she can lose those things and maybe I can lose mine a lot earlier than, uh, you know, my seventies. 
Um, and then following all of that, as I said, Jen had an operation on Christmas Eve, uh, which was a horrible experience from my point of view. I'm sure it was not a, um, I know it was not a great experience from her point of view, although she was unconscious for some of it. So she doesn't remember those parts. Whereas I wasn't, I was fully conscious the whole time. I could have done with being unconscious for chunks of that very long day where nobody like told me anything that was going on and I wasn't allowed to see her and I was very separate and I got anxiety. So I was really worried about her, but I wasn't allowed to see her and they were all, I don't know. It was a horrible, uh, powerless feeling day but then you know once we'd got into the taxi and we were coming home um all of that kind of faded away and we had a really nice christmas actually but yeah i find myself in a very different place this new year a place where i am less interested in in evaluating myself because i've been evaluating myself constantly for a year um i don't even want to look back at getting better acquainted particularly because i've been doing that uh all the time I've been doing getting better acquainted replayed episodes for a few years now and in fact that guy back then in 2011 he was a terrible person so I I don't really want to uh, evaluate it that much Um, I think that's really for for other people to to say Uh, I put did pull out some call outs for people to tell me what they think of the show nobody really took me up on that Um, but I do know that it's touched a lot of people over the years because I have heard from them when it has um it certainly has touched me and helped me and been a, a really uh positive thing in my life and i think in the lives of of quite a few of the guests over the years um at this point in my life though i want to be online less um i want to think more um i want to acknowledge that even though i've made a show about it for so long empathy on its own is not the answer so yeah I mean, that's basically where I'm at. I've recorded for an hour. I'll probably cut some bits of that out. Uh, And then I'm going to play you um, a recording that I've made of a statement because that's the kind of change that is happening to me. I'm the kind of person who's going to be writing more thought out things going forwards. And so what better way to end uh, this part of getting better acquainted's life um, than, than, than with that? Um, before I do play that statement I just want to say thank you so much to everybody that's listened to this show Um, thank you to every guest that has been on Um, it's been a wild and and fascinating ride for me Uh, it's been an autobiography through conversation and this autobiography will continue um, in different formats, in different ways. Uh, but definitely, this has been a document of someone changing in many different ways. Um, and um, thank you for uh, thank you for being witnesses to that. And uh, I hope that it's been a useful experience for you, um, in the same way that it's been a useful experience for me. And, of course, remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted. Two thousand and eighteen was a year of permanent resolution and constant evolution for me to the point where 
I don't really have any resolutions this year, apart from to keep on as I was. Keep on doing, keep on resting, keep on working on myself, keep on forgiving myself, keep on holding myself to account, keep finding what works for me, keep setting and respecting boundaries, keep trying to live for and in the present, make peace with my past and try to lose the terrors of futures, both personal and collective, without looking away from the things that need to be considered and fought against. It's been a surprising year, a challenging year, a year of many adventures and journeys, a busy year like most years, but still a year with moments of contemplation, a year of taking more responsibility and finding a fragile sense of agency that I had mostly lost. As this new year begins, a year that in political and social terms is beginning in turmoil, darkness and division, I hope for all of us that 2019 will offer something better. But better things can only happen if we make them, shape them, and where needed, fight for them. Whilst I might love you all, I do not think that love is enough. What I'm reading out to you now was written specifically to the people that I am friends with on Facebook. And so the you that I'm talking about is them... But also maybe some of you as well, some of you who I know, and it's very possible that those of you that I don't know, I may also love in some way. But as I say, love is not enough. We may find ourselves on different sides of things, and we can't agree to disagree when our disagreements are based around supporting or denying other people's right to exist. Son of Baldwin put it like this on Twitter. We can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and the denial of my humanity and right to exist. I think that it's sadder than that. I can still love you even if your disagreement is rooted in my oppression or the oppression of others. But that doesn't mean I can support or forgive you until you change your affiliations. And we live in a time where fascism is rising across the world, where the violence of capitalism and colonialism is forcing people to leave their homes only to be put in camps or drown at sea, where homelessness in the UK is rising, where people die because their benefits are taken away from them, where racism, misogyny, transphobia and so many other bigotries based on the baked-in violence of unlearned history pushes back and kills and oppresses our fellow human beings. As Audrey Lord put it, you do not have to be me in order for us to fight alongside each other. I do not have to be you to recognise that our wars are the same. What we must do is commit ourselves to some future that can include each other and work towards that future with the particular strengths of our individual identities. And in order for us to do this, we must allow each other our differences at the same time as we recognise our sameness. In the spirit of this, I feel the time has come for me to put something out there. I've come to see myself as gender queer, which is one of the words that people use to describe non-binary identities. It may very well be that I'm a gender queer man. I don't know. I'm still processing and working out what I am. But I definitely feel like 
gender has been queered or is innately queer for me. Genderqueer was not a concept that was available to me when I was growing up. Being told from the outside that I was gender non-conforming and because of that that I was somehow someone undeserving of respect or love. That doesn't make it a new thing. There have been more than two words for our variations across culture and throughout history. But it wasn't something that I had access to in order to understand my world until about five years or so ago. As someone who doesn't have dysphoria about my body, I am still very privileged. As someone who goes through the world as a white, middle-class, straightish person who is read as a man, I am still massively privileged. As someone still unlearning the versions of masculinity that I've been boiled in, I am not outside of the problem. I am still most definitely a part of it. For these reasons, it's taken me a while to come to these conclusions about myself and even longer to publicly mention this. It has partly taken a while because I didn't want to complicate trying to get my book about masculinity published, a book whereby I talk as a man to other men. And also because I worry that I am appropriating or will be seen to be appropriating the struggles of others, others who have to fight much harder and who move through the world much less easily. And so I would probably have kept quiet about this element of myself and just continued to develop my personal sense of self and experiment with gender expression on my own. I don't, for example, give a fuck what pronouns people use for me, although I totally respect whatever pronouns people choose to be used about them. So I would have kept all of this quiet, but for a couple of reasons, I've decided to tell you about it now. This isn't a safe world for people to come out into, and the idea of coming out suggests that we aren't constantly changing. I have been many different things, and I will be many different things. And as with all of us, gender is only a part of me and not the full story in any way. I don't think I need to wait to see if this is a phase, because that suggests that being in phases is not the general state of being alive. I've heard about too many people who I love being told that they were going through phases, when what they needed was for people to believe them and to love them. And partly by bringing up my gender identity now, I hope to help make it a safer world for people to go through phases, wherever they end up. And, of course, it's okay to never end up anywhere and to be constantly moving through things. In terms of it being safe for me to come out about this, it pretty much is. The grief that I get on the street will be the same whether I post on Facebook or not. And it will be related to how I visibly present rather than how I identify. I identified as a boy when I moved through school and I was bullied regardless of that identification. I've identified as a man for years and I've received street harassment regardless. The other day I was out of my house and I was only really visibly presenting as different by having long hair, purple glasses and a purple jumper on. And I got shouted at by two different people passing by in white vans. How I identify inside is not what will get me grief. 
and how I look on the outside, although it seems to offend the fragile idea of gender that everybody has, is not particularly radical or different, and it's absolutely a way that a man can present. Most of my friends and family, though, are broadly accepting of difference, or at least they don't really care how other people choose to live their lives and define themselves as long as they aren't hurting others, and really... They don't really care that much about other people's lives in general. They're just trying to get on with their own. At least I hope that's how most of my friends and family will feel. Sadly, I doubt that that's how all of them will feel. I'm super privileged regardless of how I identify. And it's partly because of this privilege that I feel that I should come out. I have the space and cultural power to fight these battles where others just need to focus on surviving. But mostly, I felt compelled to make these statements because some of the people that I am friends with and some of the people who are members of my family share stuff on Facebook that suggests that they don't support people who are trans, non-binary, genderqueer, queer or gender non-conforming. In fact, they also share things that suggests that they aren't tolerant of many other kinds of humans. And I want them to know that when they do these things, they're not just attacking many of my friends, but they are also attacking me. And these personal posts that they make and the personal posts that I make are taking place in a wider climate of media-supported hate that is happening in the UK and it needs to be pushed back against. And I hope that by making these statements that will be part of that pushback. A pushback that needs to be on the shoulders of those of us most able to push even as we elevate the voices of those of us less able to be heard. So Happy New Year to everyone who is prepared to accept and support fellow humans to live in the world. So much as it's possible to support people and so much as it's possible to live within the world without large scale structural change. Because let's face it, it isn't about individuals, it's about the structures around us. But to everyone who feels like being normal is under attack. And that other people should suffer so that you don't have to challenge your world view. I don't wish you happiness. I wish for you to have a year where you check your sources better. Stop worrying about media created phantoms and start looking at the real dangers that we face collectively. Which are, to my mind, related to climate change, capitalism eating itself and lots of different kinds of bigotry and not related at all to what pronoun someone wants to use or what words they have found to help describe their lived experience. I hope, dear listeners, that you all fall into the category of people who I wish happiness for. But if not, we're all still humans. We're all still trying to get through things. I do believe in empathy. That's why I started making Getting Better Acquainted. That's one of the main things that this show has been about. But empathy is not enough. 
understanding that we're all complicated people with feelings who have all been formed by nature and nurture, it's not enough because we don't live in a time that is tolerant. And you can't love the hate out of other people. Sometimes you have to take a side. Sometimes you have to make a stand. Sometimes you have to punch Nazis. But I think that if we have to punch Nazis, we have to remember when we're doing so that they are people the same as us, with traits that may be within us too. And so we shouldn't just be punching Nazis, we should be looking inside ourselves. And when we punch those Nazis, we shouldn't feel good about it. And punching isn't the only tactic to push back against all of the different terrors that surround us. But it is a tactic that sometimes will need to be used. The same way that saying to the people that we love, hey, I love you, but I cannot stand with you, that is also a tactic that we can use. And it's a tactic that going into 2019, I intend to use much more. Thank you.